0: Здравствуйте дорогие Hi everyone, thank you for watching this. In 1837, the Russian literary world woke up to a shocking event. Alexander Pushkin was killed in a duel, aged 37. Then as people were wiping their tears, a young man wrote a poem titled The Death of a Poet. This poem captured everyone's imagination, but also announced the arrival of a new poet in Russia. This 22-year-old man was Mikhail Yurievich Lermontov, today the most important poet in Russia after Pushkin. But four years later, he himself died in a duel, aged 26. Despite his short life, he made a huge ripple in Russian literature. He wrote a single novel, not only it's the first in prose, it's also the most loved novel in Russia. So today I'll tell you all about Lermontov's masterpiece, A Hero for Time, which is perhaps the best study of male psychology and the paradox of masculinity. It asks the fundamental question why life is so contradictory. And then I'll also read one of Lermontov's most famous poems. Lermontov was also a great artist. Throughout this video I'll be using his paintings as visuals. But first let me tell you about the writer himself. Mikhail Lermontov was born in 1814 into a noble family that traces his origin in Scotland. Pushkin's great-grandfather was born in sub-Saharan Africa, but kidnapped by the Turks and gifted to the Russian Tsar. In a similar twist, Mikhail Lermontov's distant relative was a Scottish soldier. George Lermontov in the service of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth army who was captured by the Russian army and then he settled in Russia and was given the title of nobility. So the name Lermontov has a Scottish origin. Lermontov's mother died when he was young, so he was raised by his grandmother who employed tutors from abroad in Russia to educate the young man. At different times he had French, German and English tutors, so Lermontov read the romantic poetry of Schiller, Goethe and Lord Byron as a young boy which had a profound influence on his own life as well as writing. Lermontov was a sickly child so he remained home a lot of the time. Due to ill health, he was taken to the Caucasus several times for a better climate and better water. This also had a huge influence on him which became the setting of his masterpiece and also the setting of his own demise. Lemontov had limited contact with his father, and as a result he grew up to be withdrawn and aloof, which is reflected in this novel. And his ill health didn't help either. When he was 14, he was taken to Moscow to enter high school as part of Moscow University for the kids of high society, where he became the editor of a school journal and wrote many poems. In 1830, he entered Moscow University to study philology. His arrogance, cruel and narcissistic tendencies became known. At one point, he joined a group of student mobs who kicked out a professor known as the Malov scandal of 1831. Around this time, the death of his father had a deep impact on the young man, almost drove him to suicide. His studies were seriously compromised, so he left after two years at university. In 1832, he moved to St. Petersburg but failed to join university there, so instead he enrolled in a military academy where he met a man who would kill the poet a few years later. The tough life of an army student further pushed him towards sharp wit and cruel tendencies. Later he would write in his masterpiece, quote, The first experience of torture gives an understanding of the pleasure in tormenting others. His rich grandmother was footing his bills, therefore he immersed himself in hedonistic life, womenizing drinking, but also writing sharp poetry. In 1837, Russia woke up to hear the shocking news of Pushkin's death. Lermontov spent a few minutes writing a poem called The Death of a Poet that propelled him to an unprecedented fame. It was like Russia got talent. But this fame brought the attention of the government to his other poems, which were pretty radical and revolutionary, so he was arrested and exiled to the Caucasus, where he had spent great time as a child. This was a perfect holiday for the young poet to focus on writing his masterpiece A Hero for a Time in 1838. He returned to St Petersburg and then Moscow for a while. But in 1841 he returned to the Caucasus and settled in the picturesque town of Pyatigorsk in Russian means five mountains. Here his school friend was also there. So they had a disagreement which resulted in a duel and Lermontov was killed in 1841. He was 26 years old. In an ironic twist, Lemontov's novel has a duel too. Here he tells us about his supporting character somewhat similar to his friendly enemy who would kill him at the end. Quote, His goal is to be the hero of a novel. He has so often tried to convince people he is not of this world but is doomed to some sort of secret torture that's almost convinced himself of it. This is why he so proudly wears his heavy soldier's greatcoat. I've seen through him and for this he doesn't like me even though on the exterior we have the most friendly of relationships. Grushinsky has a reputation for being an excellent brave. I have seen him in action. He waves his sabre, cries out and throws himself forward with a screwed up eyes. This is something other than Russian courage. Pushkin and Lermontov, two greats of Russian literature died in duels. We might think of it as stupidity but Lermontov wrote in his novel I am always braver going forward when I don't know what to expect. After all, nothing can happen that is worse than death, and you can't avoid death. His death at such a young age further cemented his place in the canon of Russian literature. He left a great many poems and books behind. But people outside Russia know and love him for his only novel. Now I'll discuss his masterpiece, A Hero for a Time, the first Russian novel in prose. Summary. Gyroi Nashiva Viremny or A Hero of Her Time was published in 1840 when Lermontov was 25 years old, which is astonishing, but not in this case because a year later he was dead. Also it's a very short novel compared to the future Russian novels. It's a collection of five interconnected stories with many extremely developed characters, but mainly about one man, Peturin and his sexual romantic adventures told through third-person narrative as well as first-person diary of the man himself. The first story, Bella, is told by Pechorin's friend Maxim Maximich about a Circassian woman called Bella whom Pechorin falls in love with. The second story Maxim Maximich is about sympathetic man himself as he travels through the region with Pechorin. The third story, Taman, tells Pechorin's encounter with an outlaw smuggler called Yanko on the shore of the Black Sea. The fourth story, Princess Mary's, about Pechorin's seduction of a princess. The final story, fatally, sums up Pechorin's life philosophy and contradictions. The setting is the Caucasus, mainly in and around the town of Pyatigorsk, where Lermontov himself died in a duel at the foot of Mount Mashuk, which appears prominently in the novel. Pechorin, the main character or the anti-hero, is a young army officer who travels in the Caucasus. This mirrors a lot of Lermontov's own life. He too was an officer in the army, went to all those places mentioned in the novel. Pushkin's anti-hero protagonist, Eugene, was a man like a rock who melted at the end. But Lermontov's hero Pechorin is a rock throughout, unpleasant at times but a man who never bends. Quote. I confess that I have a strong prejudice against the blind, the cross-eyed, the dead, the mute, the legless, the armless, the hunchbacked and the like. I have noticed that there is always a sort of strange relationship between the exterior of a person and his soul. It is as if, with the loss of a feature, the soul loses some kind of sensibility. A few things to know about Pichori. He is considered a recurring Russian superfluous man. Is a typical Byronic hero who is a bag of contradictions. He is sensitive romantic but also hard rock. He is arrogant but also self-deprecating, who questions the meaning of life and death. His name comes from the river Pechora in the north of Russian Republic of Komi. Just like Pushkin's hero, Onegin is named after Onega river, also in the north of Russia. Lemontov's Pechorin achieves what Pushkin's Onegin failed. He gets women, he's successful, but he's also extremely unhappy and never content. Just like a river that has shallow parts and deep areas, at times Pechorin's deep thinker who knows his own self on an extraordinary level, but also a man of action who travels through the region meeting all kinds of people from bandits, officers, ordinary people, blind and aristocrats. Lord Byron was a huge influence on Pushkin and Lermontov, Lermontov in particular because he knew his Scottish or British ancestry. At the same time, Pechorin's thoughts are incredibly deep and they get into the heads of the readers, making us think on internal questions of human existence. Pichurin's philosophy in life is quite simple. A man's life purpose is to go out to conquer and slay the dragons. When he comes back, he gets the woman to procreate with. In other words, women would not even entertain a man who has not done something in life. A man just by mere existence is not enough. He has to do something, achieve something, conquer something. Just as mentioned in Dostoevsky's The Idiot, women seek men with passion. For Pichurin, women are spoils of war, the winner takes them all, so to speak. Life is a mere game of chess for him. Some win, some lose. Thinking so, Pechorin sees romantic pursuits futile because women are always drawn to the men who conquer, not the men who pursue them. He believes women are naturally drawn to the conqueror and the powerful. That's one reason men historically became soldiers and fought in wars. Today, men become athletes to achieve the same goal. Quote, there is nothing more paradoxical than the female mind. It's difficult to convince a woman of anything, they have to be led into convincing themselves. The order of the proofs by which they demolish their prejudices is most original. To learn their dialectic is necessary to overthrow in your own mind every scholastic rule of logic. However, his cynical understanding of woman's intention is questioned by one woman. He is unaware that his own free will is determined by his emotions and passion. Early in life, Pechorin is with a woman called Bella, a Muslim Circassian woman who was abducted by another man and brought to him. After a lot of persistence, manipulation and even learning her language and convincing her through religion, Pechorin finally managed to sleep with her. But as time passes, he gets bored of her. He wants to be free from her. His spirit is restless and he wants to move to another place or another woman. But when Bella is injured during a kidnapping, Pichurin does everything to be with her. Unfortunately she dies and this brings a huge heartbreak for Pichurin to an extent that he becomes seriously ill and very weak. However, on the outside he acts stoic among the other people to show his masculinity. Petorin uses every Machiavellian tactics to get women. Once he gets the woman, he discards her. In other words, he likes the chase but not the prize. In pursuing Princess Mary, instead of praising her or falling to her feet, he does everything to annoy her, while his rival Grushnitsky worships her. Here, Lermontov juxtaposes a nice guy with a bad boy. Grushinsky is a typical nice man who shows affection. But Pechorin is the opposite. He believes that women love distant or emotionally unavailable men because nice, attainable men are boring, therefore not respected by women. In Jane Austen's novel, at the beginning, men are arrogant and not nice, which makes a huge impression on the female characters. It's a well known phenomenon that young women's natural instinct is to go with the bad boy or the so called toxic men to try to tame them, perhaps because it's a hardwired natural instinct, as these men don't care about anyone or anything, which paradoxically makes them more attractive. Beauty and the beast is a good example. Young women want to tame a beast. I guess that's same with men. An easy woman is never prized, but a married woman is always chased in literature because it's stealing someone else's wife, almost like a pirate stealing other people's treasure. Pechorin's other obsession is Vera, a married woman whom he obsesses over. Pechorin succeeds in getting Princess Mary's love through his own warm and cold approach. But he is challenged to a duel which he wins by killing his friend and rival, Grushnitsky. But once he is done, he tells Princess Mary that he doesn't love her. It was just a game. Vera, a married woman, too loves Pichurin despite his flaws. There seems to be a genuine feeling between the two, she is perhaps the only woman who can save him his faith in romantic relationship, or tame the beast. But Lermontov throws a spanner in the works at a crucial moment when Pechorin is following Vera. His horse collapses, and he thinks there is no point in pursuing her further. What is the point anyway? Because soon he will get bored of her as well. He questions his own purpose in life. He's conflicted about his own masculine role in society. This emptiness leads him to quick pleasures in life and ends up completely in turmoil. His biggest contradiction is between rationality and irrationality, reason and passion. He thinks sensibly but then acts impulsively. The issue of rationality versus passion was later developed much more by Dostoevsky who said that humans are not as rational as we are expected to be. So Petrion is a pioneer of Russian heroes whose thought process and actions do not match. They think one way and act in a different way. I think we can all relate to this. Modernity through the education system and other social institutions drill in us that we are meant to be rational and sensible all the time. But on a day-to-day basis, we engage in so many irrational acts, from drinking, eating too much, to lazing about or even masturbating, and many more impulsive acts. I am not saying those acts are not good, but if you think about it, they are not very rational but rather natural or impulsive. Peturin's only explanation for this contradiction is that he is a man. In other words, his fate is a man to live in contradictions. Quote, I have played the role of an axe in the hands of fate. Like an instrument of execution, I fell on the head of two martyrs, often without malice, always without regret. My love never brought anyone happiness because I never sacrificed anything for those I loved. I loved for myself, for my personal pleasure. I was simply satisfying a strange need of the heart with greediness, swelling their feelings, their joys, their suffering, and was never sated. In other words, his cruel actions despite seeming intentional or selfish stem from his nature as a male of his species. His sexual urge or libido has such a powerful spell on him that he has no control over his actions. His penis makes decisions for him. His self-analysis goes even deeper as he reflects on life's endless contradictions. I was lying but I wanted to infuriate him. I have a congenital desire to contradict. My whole life is merely a chain of sad and unsuccessful contradictions to the heart and mind. When faced with enthusiasm, I am seized by the midwinter freeze and I suppose that frequent dealings with the sluggish phlegmatic would have made me a passionate dreamer of me. A man without passion is not respected, but a man with passion is bound to be toxic. He's supposed to be soft and romantic, but also hard and stoic. He's meant to restrain himself yet defend his honour. He's meant to be strong yet vulnerable. That's why A Hero of Time is perhaps the best novel that captures what it means to be a man who is admonished by society as toxic, but praised for being stoic and strong in the face of danger the masculine toxicity that motivates you to do desirable things like fight, protect, provide and compete in the real world also seeps into other areas like relationships and romance where toxicity is undesirable. In other words, it's good to be toxically masculine on the outside at the battleground fighting danger but not good inside the house or in a civilized setting. Today we might consider Pechurian as a man who carries past traumas. I think Lermontov himself was a melancholic character, perhaps due to the death of his mother at a young age and very little access to his father as his grandma didn't want him around. Peturian believes in his problems are all to do with his fate as a man. In other words, it's written in stars that a man has to suffer in order to be a man. But he also suffers if he decides not to be a man. It's written in the genes, DNA. He pursues women, gets them and then he pursues other women and every time he has to find ways to entangle and disentangle himself. In the process he hurts them and hurts himself. He cannot remain in one place, he has to keep moving. Towards the end of the novel he heads to Persia, not because someone is waiting for him there, because he cannot remain in one place. His feet get itchy. Just like a river that stagnates and turns into a quagmire or swamp, Peturin has to keep moving. He also tells his friend there is little chance of him returning. His prophecy comes true, Pechorin dies on his way back from Persia. Reading this reminded me of two other novels from world literature. The Japanese novel The Tale of Genji written by Lady Murasaki is a thousand years old romance about a man who pursues an endless number of women but never finds fulfilment in life. Another novel is Marcel Proust's In Search of Last Time in which the protagonist questions the purpose of love and social climbing. Ultimately, Lermontov sees Pechorin as a man sandwiched between the blue sky and mountain, yet in neither places he finds peace and happiness. The colour light blue representing boys or masculinity is mentioned in the novel many times. Incidentally, there is no blue in Russian language, it is either dark or light blue. A Hero of Time is perhaps the first novel to tackle what being a man really means inside out. Pechorin writes in his diary, I sometimes despise myself. Is that not why I despise others? I have become incapable of noble impulses. Lermontov uses other characters as narrators to talk about Pechorin, so they offer an outside look at the man. Then Lermontov points the microscope into the man himself through his diaries to dissect the inner turmoil of a man. He doesn't try to justify or sugarcoat anything, he genuinely tries to understand manhood and masculinity. This inner psychological technique was used by Dostoevsky in crime punishment to see inside the head of Raskolnikov a murderer. I guess Peturin lived during the time when the education system was at its infancy. Today, the modern education system is there to educate but also tame men from their natural tendencies and makes for a more peaceful society when men are less masculine. It's no surprise that women outperform men in schools and universities in most developed countries. Not just women, modern education system has also helped physically smaller men. As a somewhat physically small man, I could not have been able to compete in the physical world against more masculine men. And thankfully due to modernity and the education system, I am able to be productive in other ways. Lemontov's hero is an egotist, selfish man, but masculinity in general despite its many flaws allowed civilization to flourish, so a small man like myself can have a safe and peaceful and productive life. Analysis A Hero of Time is deeply psychological novel when it means to be a man. In today's world masculinity is seriously challenging society as toxic and undesirable. As a result, millions of men feel a bit lost and confused. Peturin articulates his inner contradictions. Quote One minute just to see her for one more minute, to bid farewell, to squeeze her hand, I prayed, I cursed, I wept, I laughed. No, nothing could express my troubled mind, my desperation. On the other hand, he is a man who wants to be masculine, stoic and strong among his peers. But on the other hand, he is sensitive and vulnerable. This is a very common male struggle, which causes many men confusion about how to navigate society. Society tells you one thing, but your natural instinct is telling you another. In order to prove themselves in the world, men are supposed to be strong and competitive. But to make matters worse, men's physiological needs dictate them to pursue women. And women generally prefer stronger men. Also, biology has dealt men a rough card in which their goal is not to be monogamous and stay with one woman, but pursue endless number of them. However, social conventions dictate loyalty to one person. Pechorin's deep suffering is not only due to failed pursuits, but also due to his inability to leave a woman once he gets her. This makes him very cynical about his existence. Quote, Everything on earth is nonsense, nature is a fool, fate is turkey, and life is a kapik. Kapik is a small coin in Russian currency which means worthless. As I discussed in the tale of Genji, a novel written by a woman a thousand years ago about a playboy prince who betrays many women he has sex with, but he hardly ever does it out of spite or cruelty, but out of inner biological necessity, in search of something. Picurini is such a man who inflicts pain because the masculine rule dictates his decisions and motivations. Le Mans-Hoof is an amazing painter of nature, in literal sense because he was a great painter, but also in words. In the novel there are many amazing sentences that capture nature's beauty. For example, he says, how interesting to watch a single dewdrop quivering on a wide vine leaf and reflecting millions of rainbow rays. How greedily my gaze sought to penetrate the foggy distance. His observation is not only limited to nature but also human passion quote, Many calm rivers begin with a noisy waterfall, but not one of them jumps and froths until the very sea. In other words, a romantic adventure is like a river starts off with a waterfall when you fall in love with someone, and ends in calm sea once you make love. Human nature and passion tend to be similar to other natural phenomena. Some of his lines are extremely beautiful and poetic in capturing social phenomena. For example, I didn't want to be intrigued to you, I continued, because there is too thick a crowd of admirers around you and I was afraid of disappearing in it. Lermontov's Legacy Lermontov remains a huge name in Russia today. Outside Russia, however, his poetry is difficult to translate, so his novel A Hero of Time is considered a masterpiece. His own life mirrored his fiction. His characters lived a precarious life. But so did the poet himself, a romantic poet and a Byronic hero. He says, without fools, the world would be very boring. Living on the edge is very Russian indeed. So Lermontov is perhaps the most Russian writer of all time. But his legacy goes beyond Russia. I think his understanding of the male struggle is perhaps one of the best in literature. He could articulate the masculine burden of performance on men. How biology has made us into a beast whose incessant desire for endless women brings us head-to-head head against the plight of women and society, sandwiched between a rock and a hard place that pushes men towards mistakes and cruelty. Pichurin is an archetypal anti-hero hero who lives a genuine masculine experience and articulates it very well. He can neither live with women nor without them. Today he might be classed as toxic, antisocial, egotistic and misogynistic. His critical analysis of his own personality is refreshing and extremely honest. Quote, There are two people within me, one who lives the full sense of the world and the other who reasons and judges him. I think we all have these contradictions within us, and Lermontov's genius to depict that so beautifully, masterfully at such a young age is remarkable. He says we always forgive people who we understand. Despite all Pechorin's flaws, we all understand him. Why? Because he is honest about himself and his many flaws. The man is unable to control himself. Who knows what we would have had had Lermontov lived to be 30, 40, 50 or even 60. Russia has changed since Lermontov's time, but Russian culture is still quite masculine where courage, bravery and being out in the wild and risked it are all still respected and honoured. The reason Lermontov's writing, especially his poetry, resonates with people is that he captures Russians' attitudes towards life, which is a kind of indifference. He doesn't romanticize Russian life. In fact, in some of his poems, he's critical of Russia, but at the same time, it is what it is. One cannot disown his family or parents. Russia is the motherland, fatherland, or where Russians live and breathe. As a sickly man, Lermontov felt more at home in the Caucasus, close to the mountains, and away from the flatland of Russia proper. But his poetry articulated the essence of Russian life, precarious, natural, impulsive, and living in the moment. He shows disdain for the authority and finds solace among ordinary peasants, nature, and mountains. His poetry undulates between individual freedom and fate as a man, woman, sick, or healthy. Now I will read one of Lemontov's most famous poems called The Sail, translated by none other than Vladimir Novakov, another great of Russian literature. I think this poem captures the human condition that you will never find the comfort you are seeking in life, which echoes Pushkin's philosophy that life is not about peace but struggle and living dangerously. Amid the blue haze of the ocean, a sail is passing, white and frail. What do you seek in a far country? What have you left at home, lone sail? The billows play the breezes whistle, and rhythmically creaks the mask. Alas, you seek no happy future, nor do you flee a happy past. Below the mirrored azure brightens, above the golden rays increase. But you, wild rover, pray for tempests, as if in tempests there was peace. Thank you very much. Spacibabal Troy. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.